0: Mr. Dulles, the uh, CIA has uh, been known as a super-secret organization. Do you think that's the way it should be? I I don't think that's the way it is. There's no
1: intelligence service in the world that tells as much and talks as much and uh, gives as
0: much to the Congress as uh, does the CIA. Well, uh... Congressman Lindsey has criticized the CIA as uh, butting in the foreign policy. uh, Would you say that is correct? I uh, have high regard
1: for Congressman Lindsey, but I disagree with him thoroughly in that respect. Uh, We appear before the the CIA, appears before congressional committees, and uh, gives them full briefings on what it does.
0: He has also appointed a... uh, He... Congressman Lindsey has uh, suggested that a joint committee of intelligence be formed to replace the CIA. What do you think of that? No, no, not to replace the CIA, but to review
1: the CIA and to watch it. Uh, That's up to the Congress, I think, and the President. Uh, If the President and the Congress want to do it that way, that's the way it should be done. At the present time, we have uh, several committees of the Congress that are doing that job, and I think doing it very efficiently. So I don't think there's any great reason to change, but uh, one can differ on that. I don't feel strongly on that point Okay.
0: You think it's a matter for the whole government not just the CIA.
1: That's one of the problems They put too much burden on the CIA in this field This is uh, serious enough to be worked on and uh, for the State Department the Defense Department CIA and other departments to Take joint responsibility not put the whole
0: responsibility on the CIA would you say that a free, uh, free society should be more aggressive with its ideas?
1: I b- certainly believe it should be. They're aggressive with their ideas on the communist side, and uh, I feel we should be, uh, should be aggressive,
0: and we should learn more about them. We should tell our people more about this diversity threat. Right. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, the, the complaint is made that we are always reacting instead of acting. Well, I think that's, that's quite largely the case, okay.
1: because in many fields they do have the initiative. They don't have the initiative anymore in my opinion in the military field.
0: Thank you sir.
1: Thank you very much. It's Fisher.
2: So anyway, yeah, we've known each other like 11 years, and uh, yeah. that first night that we Did met, we already tell this story on the podcast? I'm not sure. I don't think so. Okay. If we did, I guess it doesn't really fucking matter, because like most yeah. of the people that are going to hear it now on episode 28 probably, probably yeah. either haven't listened to episode one, or, or if they did, they listened to it so long ago that they don't remember.
3: Yeah.
2: Anyway, yeah, so tell the story. Uh... <clears throat> I mean, so our mutual <laughs> I mean, I guess it's fair to say we have a mutual two mutual friend. friends. Yeah. We have lots of mutual friends, but uh, yeah. maybe we not lots, but multiple. But the two main ones in this story, um, one of whom I knew before you guys. Yeah. And, you know, and the, other I, I, was,
3: the other one was my roommate in college who I was in a band with.
2: Yeah, but also, like, your friend from high school and, like, yeah, yeah. way but back. But like specifically were... the reason the reason we met you
3: is because the other one, we'll just call him B, uh, he was like, hey, I have this friend, Cam, who plays guitar and also likes metal. We should all hang out.
2: That was it. Yeah. And he <laughs> yeah. Said, basically said the same thing to me. So, like, this was the, the year that I returned to on-campus learning after getting kicked out my freshman year. So I had done a year of community college. Um, Self-financed at my father's insistence, which I will say, (laughs) honestly, is is one of the finest parenting moments that ever occurred in my life. I got kicked out of school, and my dad said, like, you can, of course, move home. We love you. But if you are going to be home, you are going to be putting yourself through community college. And I was like, okay. So I got a job, and I put myself through community college. And uh, actually, one of the best semesters I've ever had of schooling because it was, like, self-financed, and I learned – It's kind of a shitty lesson, but like when you're paying for it, all of a sudden things mean more, and that sucks. But you don't skip so many classes to get completely stoned out of your mind. I didn't skip any classes. I did hang out with a bunch of fucking skitters who would like hang out in like the little cigarette tent out in front of the campus at uh, a Mass Bay Community College. I met some really cool kids, but um, anyway, I digress. So I came back to school and then. You know, our mutual friend who had seen you guys play at like the Battle of the Bands and was, you know, still my friend and is, you know, still in my life. You might actually hear him. He's playing bass in my house right now. I could could hear him
3: um, earlier in the call, but yeah.
2: Yeah, that's him. Same guy. Yeah. So um, that person said basically the same thing to me and was like, hey, listen, I know these guys. They're in this metal band, and I think that you would really like them. Yeah, and so he like arranged to hang out with all of us. We all hung out and got fucked up. Yeah, we just got trashed. And he the next morning,
0: uh, our (laughs) other mutual
2: friend, who is like maybe the most straight laced of us now, and like the most successful of anyone I know. Certainly. Uh, <laughs> yes, certainly. Um, but at the time, was like the most like deranged, on edge, fucking individual that I'd ever Just, met. Just like
3: really fucking crazy. Yeah,
2: uh, he went from like my most insane friend to like my most sane friend. And yeah. it's very strange because nobody else has really shifted in that spectrum. Everybody else is still kind of where they were. There wasn't even really a spectrum. It yeah. was like one day he was like, I'm just not going to be a crazy person anymore, yeah. and then he wasn't. <laughs> and then he wasn't. He sort of willed that into existence, which is yeah. kind of how he, he is. He dragged but, uh, it
3: from the ether. Mm-hmm. He
2: was nonality. like, oh, so by the way, I know that you've all known me as like your most psychotic friend, <laughs> but now I'm going that, that, to be like, sometimes the you, opposite you... of that
3: that you have like anxious fits knowing that you're about to drink
2: with yeah right (laughs) um and there was there was kind of a sloppy in between where he would lapse back and forth but he he's he's as long as i've known him he's at least been striving to be mr together and he yeah frankly now has like a beautiful family and now a beautiful house and we're like massively proud of him but Um, anyway. Anyway, I digress. So this is before that, when he wasn't <laughs> yeah. that guy. And uh, our other friend was like, you got to meet these guys. So I met these guys. We hung out. We got fucking trashed, because I loved getting trashed. You guys loved getting trashed. Yeah. Um, B, did not love getting trashed. Um, <laughs> <Beep>. And <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And um, the next morning, he had gone. He had walked home. I had slept yeah. at your guy's place, which was like already indicative of the fact that we were gelling super well, because I lived yeah. like you know a quarter of a mile away I could have totally walked home but I crashed there and yeah uh, just comes out he's like um did B piss in my drawer well no because first he's like did somebody dump out their drink into like my my uh
3: my like wardrobe (laughs) like his uh, his bureau and we're all like what are you talking about and he was like dude my drawers were like pulled out and literally everything in them is wet
2: yeah dude and so he said all that and we were like what are you talking about you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I don't... What do you mean? And, and
3: uh, just, to, just to be clear, there was a bathroom in his bedroom. Like, you'd go through his bedroom to get to a bathroom. Yeah. And then there was another bathroom next to my bedroom. So so B kept, like, going through our other friend's room to get to the bathroom. Yeah. And, like, he totally had just been, like, standing on his bed and just, like, arcing his piss into his fucking... Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, to and I mean, I frankly, so I don't know. I, I have actually no idea. I know that he has listened to the show. I don't know if he does, like, actively listen to the show. But no. uh, in in the event that you're listening, uh, I don't know where you stand on this right now. I don't know where he stands on this in, in 2021. But I know that when we confronted him about it, you know, in, gosh, this must have been 2010, Twenty ten. Uh, he not only denied it but was like offended at the suggestion however but didn't, but didn't he admit it years later i couldn't tell you i gotta be yeah. honest with you man i've i've spent so many years uh drinking and drugging that i yeah. i don't really know um i know <laughs> drinking that you know and drugging and my food. my uh, illicit pissing didn't <laughs> happen until years later and it was of a <laughs> very different together. mo like I would pee on the floor like that was my big thing. So and then I would wake up for work and I would walk yeah. to the shower and be like, "What am I standing in?" My my whole mo was never to like open someone's drawer and like arc a piss <laughs> into it. So it if it just... was me, it was years before I ever like got to that point because I didn't drink a lot when we first met. Yeah. Um, that was actually one of like my first big drinking moments was when we first met. Mm-mm. But uh, I I did smoke a lot of weed. <laughs> and yeah. anyway yeah that that was a really interesting first time and then i remember you know we set together like after that i think you guys were like okay this guy obviously is like cool enough like personality wise like we we can hang with him so let's yeah. see if he can play guitar and i remember like getting together with connor and you obviously didn't have your drum kit but yeah. you were just in the room and it was kind of cool like you were just in the room and back in yeah. college you were like Stoic Evan. You were like going yeah. through your stoic phase before you like acknowledged the pervert that you are. <laughs> and you were just like Mr. Serious. And Connor Connor was like ripping through some like riffs and he was just like, All right, man, like can you like play some rhythms under these? Or like can we just like jam around or whatever? And I at least knew how to like downpick and I don't know, we were drinking beers the whole time. And then I think it was that same night. I like some girls were walking down the hall and like screaming shit and I like opened the door and started yelling at them. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And it was yeah, like yeah. a combination of me being able to downpick and me like yelling at these girls. And then you guys kinda like in front of me looked at each other and were like, All right man, like do you wanna be in do you wanna be in this band? And I was yeah. like Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you were just like talking shit to people. (laughs) Yeah, I was just like, dude, you are the dumbest fucking idiot. I don't know, I don't remember what I said. It was probably not a 2021. It wasn't wasn't all that mean
3: spirited. People were laughing. No,
2: yeah, tons of people were laughing. Just not this girl. She was having a really bad time. (laughs) Yeah, and I do distinctly remember that there was one guy with them, and she was like, "Are you gonna let him talk to us?" And he was, uh, he was like. All right, listen. We 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 gotta get going. You know, we, we we really can't be involved in this. She was like, "You motherfucker!" And he was like, "No, we just we 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 have got a party to get to. We've really gotta get going." Uh, and uh, <laughs> I distinctly remember that being like a a point of pride for everyone as well. So yeah, yeah. That that's that's the time Evan and I met. I don't really remember why. Oh yeah, but there was pee in a drawer. That's yeah, that's that was for sure. In a hundred percent. Yeah yeah. 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 Our buddy got his drawer all pissed up in
3: a Anyway, all right. Now that we have that intro, uh, welcome everybody to Left Unread, episode 28. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. My name is My name is Evan. My co-host, as usual, is Cameron. Yeah, that's me. What's going on, Cam? Nah, no, not much, man. Just uh, hanging out. I just uh, after months of deliberation, I've been thinking that I really want to adopt a cat, and I just yes. finally texted my roommates about it. Like, I know you knew this, but yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I just
2: yeah. texted my roommates about it. I was like, hey guys. It's been like three months. I haven't changed my mind. Uh, I feel like this is a real desire of mine. So yeah. I'm going to go ahead and put it out in the ether. I want to adopt a cat. And uh, right away, B, who we just talked about, texted me yeah. back and was like, no problem. You can get a cat easy because he likes cats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We were worried about one of my other roommates. Uh, but he just texted me back and was like, hey, man, as long as there's no kitty litter on the floor and nobody else has to take care of it unless they agree to. Mm-hmm. that's cool with me and then roommate number three i'm like pretty sure is a definite yes because he's he's the nicest guy in the house myself included so uh feels like i'm nice. definitely getting a cat which is pretty cool. sweet nice you can, yeah. uh, you gonna adopt an older one younger one yeah no well, i feel like i feel like in the middle is kind of my goal
3: yeah um yeah because like mine's eight years old i got him a little over i guess what was it maybe close to two years ago yeah so he was a little on the older side basically he was just looking for a place to sleep 20 hours a day right that's I, what I, he's got so, he just sometimes he lays down on his back and airs out his balls and dick yeah um you know he just uh, lets that shit flow in the winds he rolls around just finds different
2: spots all he does is sleep it's cool yeah because kittens can be kind of assholes i think but older cats I think, are chill as fuck so we had a kitten in the house for a while um with a previous roommate and he was awesome but it was also like a lot of work and she wasn't really mm-hmm. up to the task I've never owned a cat by myself you know I grew up with cats mm-hmm. but I've never had a cat by myself so um I think the right move for a lot of reasons is you know I'm gonna kind of look for a cat that's like eight months to like two three four years old um mm-hmm. you know because I'd like a few years with the with the animal I don't know that I want to like agree to a senior pet because I yeah. don't have a lot of experience and sometimes there can be a lot of work involved with that um, who knows if, if I fall in love with an old cat you know of course like but I, I, I do agree with the idea that like there's lots of older animals that need yeah. homes and uh, I'm not looking for a kitten um, I've never had a kitten I think that's a, a mm-hmm. you know in the setup that I'm in with the roommates that I have and the room the space that I have I think a kitten would be um, stress for the cat and stress for myself and you know, I, I would love to give an older animal a home. So I think I'm sort of open to kind of whatever, but expecting to kind of hit it off. I'm, I'm just going to go around and try to, like, meet a bunch of cats. And, yeah. and uh, I'm Man-seeking expecting to hit cat. it off with, like, a slightly older cat. Yeah. Because I feel All like a right, slightly yeah. older cat is, like, what's going to like me.
3: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we we got we got a long episode for yeah, you guys today. we do. Today, so we're going to get into that. But first, uh, let's uh, hear a word from... A lucky sponsor of the week
2: yeah absolutely so uh today's episode is brought to you by the penis parlor uh, <laughs> the penis parlor is a is a state-of-the-art modern facility where you can grab all the hottest hardest tools to fit the modern working penis uh it's a hard st- <laughs> it's a huge store with every size shape and color instrument store. you can imagine this means on the whole we can accommodate big penis small penis, even average to slightly below average size penis. Wow. It's like they're talking right to me. Owner and proprietor and penis head, Harry Balzac, and his attentive staff will be on hand to serve it, <laughs> service every needy penis they can find. And guess what? They're all penists too. So if you need assistance, just grab any penis you see, and they can give you a hand until you're finished. We also stock all kinds of fun toys if you're looking for a gift to please the penis in your life. The penis parlor pushes more units than any other of their competitors and that's because they never jack up the prices the penis parlor where a penis can just let loose
3: that's why i always shop for my penis well
2: i mean a penis is a person
3: yes that's why i said for my penis <laughs> oh
2: the penis in you your don't life have a penis yeah i know a couple of penis do you have one not personally no, no <laughs> personal i don't penis. own a penis i don't own a penis but i i know several penists and i I I, uh, but I I do know a pianist who would be upset if they heard me say that i like to keep them happy that's for sure yeah. it can be or, a lot of work to keep a penis happy your forearms will certainly feel it yep yeah. yeah so anyway thank you to them for uh reaching out to us and thank and, and you and harry Balls. yeah yeah, yep. he's, he's, his whole group of guys are, are really, really well-trained. Yep. They know how to satisfy even the most discerning penis. Yes, they do. All right, so uh, with that
3: out of the way, let's dive into the double agent and the ghost of Nuremberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, so if... Uh, this episode isn't you know like a uh like a true sequel to episode 24 but uh we will be kind of continuing on from that one so if you haven't listened yet uh you can listen to it after this or you can stop now and go back it's up to you it's your podcast
2: feed to do it as you please you should go uh, listen to episode 24 listen to it first yeah but if you don't it's fine
3: now that you're back from episode uh, from listening to episode 24 (laughs) let's welcome you to episode 28
2: yeah and welcome
3: so as you will no doubt remember from the episode that you just listened to uh we talked about alan dulles Mm -hmm. in episode Mm -hmm. 24 the first civilian director of central intelligence a wall street banker and a former diplomat that worked for many presidents and uh he worked in the office of strategic services in world war ii and friend of the pod yeah friend of the pod alan
2: dulles yeah, yeah. absolutely like if not our are, biggest fan uh we yeah. are perhaps his biggest fans yes and we are cia assets so this is all a, this is all in all oh my god my soft outer physical body is is just a suit that i wear over my ripped toned secret yeah. service interior Yeah, permanently
3: have on a black suit with black sunglasses. Mm -hmm. Yep. So anyway, um, let's go to 1965. So in 1965, Alan Dulles was talking to the writer Willie Morris, and he was remarking on the failed Bay of Pigs invasion uh, from just a few years earlier, and its spectacular failure. Alan Dulles would recall to Willie Morris that it was the, quote, blackest day of my life. Now, for those that don't know, the Bay of Pigs was a failed, like, just moron attempted invasion of the island of Cuba by, mm-hmm. by some uh, anti-communist, anti-Castro Cuban dissidents who were trained by the CIA. And they stormed the Bay of Pigs, which is just like a swampy beach, and they just got fucking murked, <laughs> including with uh, Fidel Castro himself after the first day of fighting, charging down from Havana, like, on a tank and commanding his own armies to take them out. So now in 1965, he's recounting this story and also a number of his stories from his time as chief spymaster for the U.S. But apparently when Willie Morris brought up John Fitzgerald Kennedy, a storm came over Alan Dulles' face. Of course, JFK had just been murdered two years earlier, and all Dulles could say about him was that little Kennedy, he thought he was a god and I love this line because for me this is it's one of those situations you know Alan Dulles is generally a man that's in command but occasionally the mask slips just a little bit Mm. and they were he was just asking what he thought you know about how Kennedy's uh, Kennedy's life had ended there at Dealey Plaza and that was the answer Dulles got after just going like rage induced with his face just like curling and he just says that little Kennedy he thought he was a god hmm so this all started because Dulles wanted to tell his side of the story about the Bay of Pigs, but he was just unable to control his temper and a fit, of, a fit of rage came over him and apparently still always did whenever the thought of JFK crossed his mind. So Morris was trying to write Dulles's, quote, My Answer to the Bay of Pigs, which was a memoir. But Dulles would just continuously get frustrated with it over months of rewrites, and he was constantly worried that at once he was saying too much, at other times saying too little, and he was still just angry that it was JFK that was beloved after a god, as a god after his brutal end, and that Dulles was the one reviled. He would eventually give up, often worried, again, that he said too much or too little. So Dulles was constantly accused of having set a trap for Kennedy, even at this point, Where the invasion would be, again the Bay of Pigs, would be in such dire shape that JFK would be forced into sending in the US military for aid or risk letting their agents and trained guerrillas die on the beach. But in trying to put put it into words, he would just seemingly confirm the rumor. Now I personally don't want to give JFK too much credit as I don't think he was as caught off guard as the normal story says. There's excellent ev- evidence that JFK knew in some way about the Bay of Pigs from a briefing with Dulles while JFK was running for president, but still, an Allen Dulles trap was set for him, and for once, a U.S. president said no to falling into it. Hmm. You know, there's, uh, there's a lot of stories about, at this time, what the CIA would do, and apparently one of their, one of their big moves was to put an intentionally failing operation into action, oftentimes with Inexperienced agents running it, which is what happened with the Bay of Pigs, so that they would get the president into a situation where it was ongoing and failing, and they would basically
2: just pin sneak. it on
3: him. Yeah, or no, they would try to sneak him into giving even more. Like, you know, they wouldn't want to use American troops, but now this situation is failing and it would be pinned on him. Right. And so it tries trying to pressure them into the moment to commit even uh, more resources. I it's see. a trap. And so Alan Dulles he tried to trap JFK and JFK didn't fall for
2: it and he, it, Alan Dulles just hated him for the rest of his life for it. Yeah, like you tried to fucking get him, like you know. Yeah, I mean, so assuming that that's the case, that that's what he was trying to do. Uh, yeah. What could be more infuriating than that? Because that's like his career yeah. defining, you know, checkmate moment. Yeah. And JFK not only like doesn't fall for it, but then just immediately gets the back of his head blown out and is like sorry you don't even get a second chance and also you can never like that's it yeah i mean
3: yeah alan dulles at this point alan dulles he had served like four or three consecutive presidents he had betrayed all of them right and jay and it was finally jfk that fired him for that so jfk fired him because of the bay of pigs Mm. and then just a few months later his head gets blown out yeah uh but we will we will get into that story a lot in later episodes okay so alan dulles at this point had just capped off an unprecedented string of successes in support of the u.s state alongside his older brother the impeccable pervert john foster dulles secretary of state under eisenhower and a dour man constantly musing on the imminent threat of communism while the younger alan led the american deep state and overthrowing governments across latin america africa and the middle east
2: Isn't uh, John Foster Dulles who the airport is named after? Yeah, it is. Yeah, Dulles Airport. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
3: Now, President Dwight D. Eisenhower had given them free reign, perpetually in fear of the brothers that in all but name ran the American state abroad. But after the Bay of Pigs, JFK ushered Alan Dulles out the door, and John Foster Dulles had died a couple years earlier in 1959 while Ike was still present. It finally seemed like a changing of the guard was coming to America after these two brothers ran the show for the better part of two decades. Eisenhower, towards the end of his administration, had begun to doubt the order that he and the Dulles brothers had built. And John Foster was dying of colon cancer. Nice. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) Fucking awesome way for that piece (laughs) of shit to go out. (laughs) Just fucking shit leaking out of his colon. (laughs) But, uh... Allen, though, was as steadfast as ever, and the young Jack Kennedy—I'm going to go full boomer here by calling him Jack—he uh, <laughs> had decided to keep Allen Dulles on as Director of Central Intelligence, even though JFK, at least in speech, was seemingly willing to move away from the post-war order of nuclear brinkmanship that had been the status quo since Truman. JFK claimed he believed it to be far too dangerous, and at the very least, he talked about the changing Third World in terms condemning the neo-colonial stance of America since the end of World War II hostilities. How serious he was about stopping it, I don't really know. You know, he talked a bit game. But he certainly still engaged in regime change throughout his term, and how willing he was to stand against the evil that had festered in his government is up for debate. But he certainly at least said it, but saying and doing are two different things. Mm. Dulles, though, was a master manipulator and always willing to move against his own government if he saw the use of it. Just like, which we discussed in episode twenty-four, when he helped smuggle Karl Wolf out of Italy against the orders of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He and his brother believed democracy was not something to fully trust, and that the people should not have all the power, but rather a small group should protect and manage it. Doesn't really sound like democracy, of course. The managers, uh, he, uh, the managers being he and his business magnate friends that he had met while working with, uh, for Sullivan and Cromwell corporate law firm. The Dulles brothers grew up as both fervent chess players and would utilize these skills to become masters in the shadows for the men in
2: power. No fucking way. So, so I'm supposed to believe that these guys got really good at like behind the scenes shadow politics by being chess players. They were, like, both, like, chess masters. Yeah, I know. Everybody talks about that. But there's a lot of chess grandmasters who are, like, not comfortable ordering a coffee at a coffee shop. I yeah, don't...
3: for sure. But these dudes these dudes were, like, always content to, like, really, like, set up everything that was going on. Like, when, when you talk about the moves they're doing, just like chess, you know, they're planning moves three, four, five, six, seven down the line.
2: I mean, it, I do it, that in Magic the Gathering. Yeah. Should I run the CIA? no nobody should but
3: regardless i mean it's just always said about them it doesn't matter we don't need to dwell on it for too long i'm dwelling okay well you can dwell in your own head um john foster would confer openly with the despots of the world but alan was like the spy master whispering into the king's ears with one word and turning and plotting with the next oftentimes against his master's wishes John Foster even famously stood against FDR earlier in his presidency, warning warning his clients to defy FDR and his New Deal policies. I'm sure neither was too far from the business plot, which again we discussed in episode twenty-four. Right. Although it is unknown how involved if at all they were, but by looking through the names, they hung around with them, and uh, they hung around with them, and what positions they would later hold. It's pretty easy to come to an informed conclusion. And just to refresh everybody's memory, the business plot was when a bunch of businessmen, bankers, industrialists, you know, magnates, all these people tried to uh, oust FDR as leader of the country and mm. install a military dictatorship.
2: And what was the guy's name?
3: Which one? The oh, guy Smedley
2: Butler? Smedley Butler. Yes, Smedley Darlington about. Butler. And he, uh, unfortunately for them, was a real was mensch yeah he was an anti-capitalist general <laughs> yeah he was like you know what actually i've seen too much of this to feel comfortable with this guys i'm yeah. gonna go ahead and report yeah. you guys literally as he was like starting
3: his tour talking about how war's are War is a racket war's a racket the exactly. racketeers tried to put him in charge right he was like damn you guys picked the wrong motherfucking general for this shit yeah um So Alan Dulles, of course, was the mastermind in establishing the Nazi rat lines that helped the Third Reich's war criminals escape to Latin America, the Middle East, and the U.S. In order to be utilized against the Soviet Union, the state Dulles always regarded as America's real enemy. Though Truman signed the CIA into existence... He never believed it would become what Dwight D. Eisenhower would later describe as the thing that left him a, quote, legacy of ashes. After Dulles outmaneuvered Ike in making the CIA into a subversion of democracy, into a thing that would come to be known as the power in the U.S. and that all other public officials serve at the pleasure of. He would betray FDR, he would betray Truman, he would betray Eisenhower, and he would even eventually betray JFK, the one man that actually stood up to him and fired him, although Dulles would continue in the shadows. After the failure of the Bay of Pigs, Dulles would retreat even further into the shadows, and by all accounts had an anti-JFK government in exile at his home in Georgetown, constantly meeting with a wide array of CIA spooks, assets, and staunchly anti-Castro and anti-communist Cubans, and everybody at this Vichy palace began thinking that JFK was a communist sympathizer, appeasing the enemy." In October 1963, Dulles even broke with tradition to publicly denounce Kennedy, saying he had a, quote, yearning to be loved by the rest of the world and called this a weakness, and that Dulles himself, quote, should much prefer to have people respect us than to try to make them love us.
2: Nice. Love that.
3: So this was about a month before JFK's death.
2: That's like a uh, a very uh, Machiavellian approach.
3: Yeah. To exactly uh,
2: a democracy. Yeah. Well done,
3: so well in the weeks between this and November 22nd, 1963, the day of JFK's assassination, a flurry of activity began to happen at Dulles's residence, enough to be noted by law enforcement and for this flurry to come under investigation after the fact, especially Dulles's strange withdrawal to a CIA site in northern Virginia known as The Farm on the weekend of the slaying. Dulles would then lobby Lyndon Baines Johnson after he was sworn in to be added to the Warren Commission, the official commission investigating the assassination. He was so involved it would jokingly be called the Dulles Commission by one of the observers. It was Dulles himself that steered the commission to the lone gunman theory of Lee Harvey Oswald.
2: Mm. However, we
3: we will not yet travel to Dealey Plaza to unravel what happened that day and why it matters to the story of the American century. (laughs) For now, we will explore the world created by Alan Dulles and the deep politics that unfolded. Once we peek inside, we see a world of torture, assassination, surveillance of U.S. citizens, mind-control experimentation, and a whole litany of horror stories being pulled right from the worst crimes of the Third Reich as a new political order was built by Alan Dulles. Hmm. What has come to be known as the Deep State is really an amalgamation, an unholy alliance between various state actors in America and around the world. It's Wall Street bankers and lawyers of the Northeast, business magnates, oil men of the Southwest, Nazis smuggled out of Europe, fascists both at home and abroad, the defense industry, the Vatican, and the Mafia, both in the United States and Italy. All of these forces would come together, and they are all tangled together in the deep politics of America, as academic author Peter Dale Scott puts it. And the deeper into American politics you go, the more you dredge up monsters.
2: This sounds like a point where we should put in like a cool, like a blues rock song and we could have that be like the theme to our mini-series about America's ghosts. Cool. Yeah, this would be the point right here. It would be like, oh man. Right here. Right here. And then right here. And I'm, Actually, we're a Stitcher uh, premium exclusive so yep. uh, if you want to listen to anything other than this one episode, you gotta pay 20 bucks a month and uh good luck and Godspeed and that's that Jack and that's that Jack because we yeah. know we're worth it you know anyway we're worth it. but yeah so you know one of the things I really want to hammer
3: home is that all of those people that you know all of these people are the same they, they're the politicians you know right. they're the deep state them off these are all one and the same they're all this sort of entire Frankenstein lumbering around
2: but you mean Frankenstein's monster
3: yeah, yeah, true, yeah, Frankenstein monster, right. yeah. sorry.
2: Yeah, yeah. Frankenstein would have just comfortably walked around because he was just a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. And he would have been
3: like, oh, no, what did I make? She oh, man,
2: I, I made this, and uh, better go just comfortably walk away at a normal human clip. Oh, that sucks.
3: Um, anyway, so, as discussed in episode 24, Alan Dulles entered Switzerland in 1942 as an agent of the U.S. government but he acted oftentimes in plain sight, and he was more than familiar with many of his Nazi counterparts. He had dealings with Nazis prior to the war and when he was crossing the border from Vichy, France, although he liked to regale reporters with a harrowing story. In truth, after a quick call, a Gestapo agent allowed him to pass through, and then his arrival was announced to some fanfare in the local newspapers. Despite William Donovan... Again, that's wild Bill Donovan. (laughs) Head of the OSS, as discussed in episode 24, uh, despite him wanting to place Alan Dulles in Great Britain, Alan was able to get himself sent to burn Switzerland, an intentionally placed assignment, as he was aware of Switzerland's place in the war, i.e., the government of Switzerland was playing both the Axis and Allied powers, just like Dulles planned to do. The Dulles brothers' law firm, Sullivan & Cromwell, was so entrenched in the power structures of Germany that John Foster continued to operate in the country with the firm, refusing to close the offices until 1935, when his firm's official correspondence still ended in Heil Hitler in their German dealings. Nice. Switzerland profited off of both the Nazi regime and the Allied powers, and for this reason, Alan Dulles got himself settled in Bern so he could utilize his contacts to continue business for his firm while spying. His activities blended into one... And the same now John Foster was so enamored with Nazi Germany that he would continue standing by the regime even after the anti-semitic Nuremberg laws of 1935 John Foster continued to praise Hitler in personal correspondence through the late 30s and had wow. so al- and had so alienated others that by 1939 he apparently gave off the impression that he believed the Nazis had the moral position over the Allies Hmm. His German partner in New York, Gerhard Westrich, even held a party in 1940 to celebrate France's surrender. That's in New
2: York. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what a fucking pervert, dude. Listen, man, if it's 1940 and you're in New York and you know a guy named Gerhard, you got to fucking vet that (laughs) motherfucker. Yeah, dude. Because honestly, you're at risk of collaborating with some pretty real shit. Yeah, well, yeah, it's <laughs> he, he, certainly been collaborating oh, for it's years. just me and my buddy Gerhard. It's 1940, yeah, it's Gerhard, and he's holding rate. a party. It's something to do with France. Everybody feel comfortable going? Yeah. Yeah, no problem. We'll go. Yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, hell yeah. I don't know, I'm not man. sure. Kind of seems
3: like there's bad news coming from France. <laughs> I don't know why they're celebrating. <laughs> oh, Gerhard? But... No,
2: that guy rocks. Let's yeah, definitely yeah, go to a, his he's
3: party. He's a real straight shooter. He's a real mensch. Yeah. But uh, Alan Dahls himself was so aligned with John Foster's views on Nazi Germany, uh, at least in the early days. While he wasn't enamored with, with Hitler himself like Foster, Alan was taken in by Josef Goebbels, one of Hitler's top lieutenants, his head of propaganda, and a furiously enthusiastic supporter of the Holocaust. By the late 30s, however, Alan had started to turn against the Nazis, believing them madmen, but he was reluctant to go against Foster publicly out of loyalty. Imagine like hearing about what's going on, and you're like, "Man, those are some strange cats over in Germany, huh?" But <laughs> they're friends with they my brothers. They got brother, a lot so. of money.
2: They got a lot of fucking money, dog. They do, but my brother <laughs> likes them so. He likes them a lot. I I, I, I guess, guess I gotta still say he's I my like older brother. I mean, he's honestly, who who disagrees with their older brother? Not
3: me.
0: Yeah.
2: Nope. Uh,
3: so anyway, uh, eventually, once the propaganda campaign. To get into the war was fully underway foster's friend and partner gerhard Vestrich was even possibly going to be assassinated due to his fervent support of the nazis Yikes. although in the end he was simply deported and as a funny aside it was actually canadian and british spy william stevenson friend of ian fleming author of the james bond novels huh. that was considered for the hitman position <laughs> wow. uh, in fact years later while well, james angleton and william harvey two of the men under orders to plan one of the myriad assassination schemes against Fidel Castro, they would be told to approach Stevenson because, quote, he ran this kind of thing in New York during the war. Uh, Now, all this to say, FDR kept the Dulles brothers close and under surveillance while they were working for him, and even though he was cordial with them, they were well known to be the faces of the plutocratic resistance to FDR's populist policies, and he would routinely spy on them while they were spying for the U.S., Many other New Deal loyalists had outward hostilities with the brothers, though. So again, while we discussed the business plot in detail in episode 24, it should also be noted that many of the plotters happened to be clients of Sullivan and Cromwell, the Dulles Brothers law firm. Uh, FDR made plenty of enemies at the firm when he his Securities and Exchange Commissioner William Douglas on John Foster Dulles, and he had become a hated enemy and class trader. And I actually never knew about this, but in fact, there were reports of a second coup plotted in 1940 against FDR after his friend Cornelius Vanderbilt Jr.
2: Oh, Vanderbilt.
3: Yeah, Cornelius Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. A New York plutocrat, uh, plutocrat that was actually loyal to FDR tipped him off that he was hearing rumblings again amongst the socialites and financiers of Wall Street, as well as army officers and tycoons. FDR again was able to stave off this, uh, this plot. Uh, he then shocked people and plotters, this is FDR, by sending Alan Dulles to burn Switzerland. However, he would later say he did this specifically to use Alan as a dangle. He knew Alan would be meeting with his Nazi contacts, and FDR wanted to flush them out. He wanted them to know who these Nazis were that were dealing with mm. FDR's enemies. One of these contacts was Thomas, uh, Thomas McKittrick, president of the Bank of International Settlements, or BIS, Best. which was yeah the biz
2: he's president Uh, of biz
3: yeah which was created initially for germany's world war one reparations but would eventually become controlled by hitler's regime five of its directors would eventually be charged with war crimes including hermann schmitz ceo of ig Farben, the company that produced cyclone b the gas used to exterminate prisoners in the death camps damn schmitz was a client of sullivan and cromwell uh bis also famously laundered hundreds of millions of nazi gold from occupied countries some of this gold was ripped from the jewish families that were then exterminated by the regime they would even pull out you know if they had any gold in their teeth they would pull them out and just like smelt it Mm mm-hmm alan dulles of course met with mckittrick immediately upon setting foot in europe and i do mean immediately like the first day The goal of the meeting unbelievably was to plan out how to protect the assets of the german and american clients they shared during the war this is first order of business mckittrick and dulles would work closely throughout the entirety of the war to hide german assets even against an fdr project called operation safe haven the goal of the operation was to track down and confiscate hidden assets to get back into power after the war this however was what dulles and mckittrick Wanted because they believed they needed the nazi leaders to return to power to stand as a bulwark against the soviets So Dulles sabotaged the operation and intentionally refused to carry it out in his office Stating he lacked the personnel Literally just like new phone who dis While Allen worked in Europe foster worked in America and helped hide the assets of corporations like IG Farben and Merck KGAA and hmm. he even aided German companies in bottlenecking supplies that the U.S. needed for its war production, harming their abilities. Hmm. Meanwhile, Allen destroyed incriminating evidence in Europe to hide his brother's treason. Both probably would have been tried for serious criminal charges if FDR lived, and Supreme Court Justice Arthur Goldberg, an OSS colleague of Allen's, would one day state that both were guilty of treason. But FDR died in April 1945, and both were able to escape prosecution. Hmm. So, I won't go over... Like, are you just going to be annoying? No. Okay. So, I won't go over it too much again. It's the rule of
2: threes, Evan.
3: What? It's the rule of threes. Your your homes? Okay. No, just
2: everything, you know? It's going to be funny three times. After that, I mean, it's self-indulgent. True. Very true. So, So you don't need to worry about me. Because I did it three times. Okay. So... So I won't do it again, because okay, great, rule of so threes. that's not like
3: three times for this joke too. So well, no,
2: that was actually the this is the third time. So it is three okay. times for this. Okay, joke, Okay, shut too. the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. All right, you don't so. got to worry because of the rule of threes. So <sighs> okay,
3: shut up. So, I'm not going to go too much into detail again, as once more it was discussed in episode 24, but the Casablanca Conference decided that the Allies would accept only unconditional surrender of the Axis powers, meaning that the British and American forces would not allow the Nazis to surrender to them but keep fighting the Soviets. Allen was apparently livid with this and immediately told his Nazi contacts that it was just a piece of paper that could be disregarded, and he immediately began planning his next betrayal of FDR and the U.S., it was after this that allen met with the nazi prince maximilian egon von uenlua and the notorious boston anti-semitic historian intelligence agent and banker royal tyler and the three began trying to plan plot out how to keep nazi germany largely together after hitler including discussing how to deal with the jewish population after the war um, not wanting them back in europe and hoping to sell them in africa oh wow they, they were all like, well, as long as we're on the same page that so we don't want the Jews in any of our countries, right? maybe we could put them in Africa. They talked about, like,
2: Madagascar, I think. Fuck yeah. I've <laughs> seen that movie. Yeah. I'd like been a little to bit move different. it, move it. I'd yeah. like to move it, move it. I mean, like, who doesn't want <laughs> that? that? Honestly, that sounds like a pretty good... If that's their final solution, I mean, that sounds pretty good. Hey. <laughs>
3: um now the three discussed and agreed on a pact to betray not only fdr by dulles by but hitler by Uenlua, and the pact included dismissing the genocide of the jews in the holocaust they're like yeah, that thing uh so yeah. uwin had been recruited by none other than heinrich himmler hitler's right-hand man and reichsfuhrer of the ss who had deigned to supplant hitler as leader of the country he had even recruited fashion designer Air horns right here. Coco Chanel to help his plans.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, uh, FDR continually warned Dulles not to keep meeting with U Lua, but Dulles persisted so often that the prince had an official OSS designation. 515
2: wow so yeah. was he like an old habsburg prince or what like what was his yeah
3: he yeah he was like a he was an old prince who um was just okay with you know the the new shape of the world like he definitely still had like lands and stuff mm-hmm. um but yeah i'm assuming he was like in some kind of old um
2: hre family guy but who was just like fuck yeah this nazi germany shit sounds great to me and so the nazis were like you can still be a prince yeah you can keep you can keep your manor damn he's like nice this yeah, sounds me, awesome, because
3: I'm racist. A na- yeah. Like, with a name like Maximilian Egon von Uenlua, you're definitely going to be racist.
2: Now, so, okay, so you definitely Googled that, right? Because I yeah. would have said, like, Hohenlohe, Hohenlohe. Or, or something.
3: Yeah, yeah I, I I Googled the
2: pronunciation in
3: German. And I'm there's to some do guy be like, like,
2: Uenlua. Yeah,
3: Uenlua. Okay. okay. Yeah, I would have said, like, Hohenlohe or something like that. Yeah. yeah but it's Uenlua. Apparently the German. I'm mm-hmm. trying to do the German pronunciation for everything.
2: Well, you, you yeah, I mean, you'd better.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I fucking pronounced
2: Bison as Tusen in the last mm-hmm. episode. but um, I'm just saying a... you mostly get it wrong. So, like, it's Thank good you. that you're trying now. Thank you.
3: Uh, so, uh, Himmler himself tried to cut a deal with Dulles even after the war, where Himmler planned to rendezvous with Dulles in Switzerland just after the end of the war. But he was captured on his way to the rendezvous point by British soldiers while in disguise. Himmler would escape judgment by eating a cyanide pill. Hell like, yeah, like dude. A little, little ampule in his mouth and he just... It's like back to that, I like to move it, move it. Move it. I like I to like move it, move it. Move it. Yeah, that dude, would have been yeah. fucking mental if like, he bit that <laughs> and then just started saying that. And as he's he just, actually like, the guy who wrote that song.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I like to move it, move it. Uh, like, so and they're, they're like, "What's what's, what's going on? What's what's up with you?" Blah, I'm yes, Move it! <laughs> and then uh, like that's that's the end of him. <laughs> they're all just like, "What the fuck?" I mean, honestly, definitely the most gangster way to die. But we're still a little confused about that song you were singing. Yeah, it's not going to be out for a few years yet. Yeah, we. I don't think that but we've your, heard anything quite like but, that. <laughs> your kids are definitely going to be into it. Your kids are going to love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
3: and Alan Dulles uh, in case you didn't get it by now but they were both pretty cold men uh, dating back to when they were children and as opposed to uh, Foster's quiet aloof fires. cruelty What? You said fires I know I'm such an idiot Yeah And as opposed to Foster's quiet aloof cruelty Alan was calculating and prone to fits of rage Uh, He even one time nearly watched his five-year-old sister drown without doing anything when he was 10, despite being a good swimmer. She was apparently drowning, and he was, like, standing on the pier, just, like, staring at her. Why didn't you do better? So she starts screaming, and after being quiet for a while, he decides, I'll scream too. And he just starts also screaming without trying to get her. And, like, his mom, had who was, like, in bed with a migraine, had to, like, run outside and save his sister.
2: That's so rude. It's fucking psycho. I'll tell you what, honestly, (laughs) if my sister was drowning... Like, yeah, I would go save her. When she got back to shore, I might then scream in her face and be like, Make fun ah, of her. this is, like, really inconvenient. Like, how could you yeah. make me have to do this? But at least get her to shore before you start acting like a fucking idiot. Yeah, no, he was idiot. just standing there. He was apparently a great swimmer, too, so he was just like, Ah! Like, standing on the end of the pier. Alan Dulles, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Yep. All right. Anyway, um... He was
3: also flying uh, prone to flying into a rage at his sister eleanor one time going absolutely fucking hog wild because she had parked too close to the house damn he's <laughs> just like personally offended by her parking i guess now foster on the other hand as i said he was aloof and showed little care to his friends including his jewish friends under surveillance in germany after they asked him for help uh he was like i oh, don't know it sucks man they're like we think yeah we're man maybe watched you guys shouldn't state. have been jewish yeah You ever think about that? Maybe you should stop wearing those hats.
2: Yeah. Sorry, but I like what's happening to you. Yeah. Quote, unquote, (laughs) Alan Dulles. Yeah. No, John Foster. Quote, unquote, John Foster Dulles.
3: Yeah. Uh, He was also incensed that Eleanor would deign to marry a Jewish man after their father died, trying to dissuade her before she just told him to piss off. Really, seems she just had two shitty older brothers mm. um now her jewish husband however would kill himself in the 1930s after falling into a depression due to the events of the era i can see that yep uh alan dulles though was not also immune to anti-semitic fantasies himself early in his life while stationed as a diplomat in turkey after world war one he read the protocols of the elders of zion oh
2: future episode <laughs> as we yeah, said before. i know yeah
3: a notorious anti-Semitic conspiracy book about an already, at that time, discredited glo- global plot by Jewish elites to control the world. Uh, despite being an obviously fictitious book cooked up by the former Russian Tsar's secret police, he sent reports back to Washington about the plot. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he's just like, hey, there's some interesting things in here, guys. And they're all like, this fucking idiot. <laughs> um, but, uh... Back in 1939, reports began to slowly trickle into the United States about Jewish displacement and atrocities in Germany and Poland, but many of them were insulated or bottled up in reports. Once Allen was in Switzerland with the OSS, reports about the final solution to the Jewish question began flowing more steadily and with reliable sources to Allen's setup, Uh, but these still did not force drastic Allied intervention. Of course, at this time, the Nazi concentration camp system was beginning to sprawl out, But at the time, and even still to this day, its true setup was not fully known. This wasn't just an extermination camp setup, but a slave labor setup as well, where European Jews were worked to death as slaves and exploited by companies like Volkswagen, IG Farben, and Siemens. So a lot of times, you know, even today, people still think of it as it was just, they were extermination camps. But there was heavy slave labor utilized in these camps by a lot of companies, both German and American companies. And all these
2: companies got a big... Pass,
3: yeah. Because yes.
2: you've heard of Volkswagen, you've yeah. heard of Siemens. Yes, they're still out there making shit, and yep. it's just—I mean, A-okay. fucking
3: IBM, dude. Like IBM was—they yeah. uh, utilized slave labor. They were Nazi collaborators. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, so some of this information that flowed into the U.S. State Department via Edward Schulte, who had firsthand knowledge of the horrors of Auschwitz, as he was a nearby miner and had been visited by Heinrich Himmler and learned of the early testing of the Final Solution gas chambers at the camp. Unfortunately, the message had to go through Bern and FDR's confidant, Rabbi Stephen Weiss, was the intended target, but the offices in Bern refused to believe the reports, and they were sent to New York, where Dulles still was, and he was one of the recipients. The reports were dismissed out of hand as war rumor, although it was conceded that some Jews were dying due to physical maltreatment and disease. Okay, it's true that some of them are dying. Um, The State Department called it a wild rumor inspired by Jewish fears. Uh, Roosevelt did not get the memo, and Rabbi Wise didn't get it for over a month. Wise finally held a press conference saying Hitler had already killed 2 million Jews and planned to kill the rest in Europe. But the story was buried by the American press. One of the reasons was that they could not get corroborating government sources, even though at this time Dulles was getting separate reports corroborating the story from other informants. One of them simply said, and I quote, Germany no longer persecutes the Jews. It is systematically exterminating them. Mm. Eh, nothing to see here.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, Now, over clandestine meetings with German defectors, Dulles seemed far more interested in the mentality of the German people than he did of understanding what the Third Reich was doing. In one meeting with a defector, Dulles was given good evidence that Hungary's Jews were about to be rounded up and sent to the death camps, and he was urged to bomb the rail lines leading into the camps. However, he was also informed that the communist movement in Germany, once powerful in the 20s and 30s, early 30s, was gaining steam again as the war effort faltered. Dulles sent a communique to the president with only one of these stories. I'll leave it to you to figure out which one he was concerned enough about to write to the president. In fact, in his hundreds of communiques with Washington, and Bern, scant few of them ever mentioned the final solution, and he often used Nazi-like language, only discussing the Jewish genocide and banalities like conscription, or there's some work in the labor service. Now, in documented evidence since declassified, Dulles without a doubt knew about the Holocaust before he even departed the United States for Switzerland. He knew about the final solution and was even fed reports over the years of imminent slaughters that he could have prevented. And yet he never lifted a finger to alert the allies in Washington about his intel. He would continue to feign surprise whenever new reports came in like it was the first time he heard of it, including to a British reporter that he met with at his mansion, Herringasa, in Bern. But this was in 1944 more than two years after he arrived in switzerland this reporter told him the story of Verbe wetzler two jewish teens that escaped auschwitz after hiding under rumble for three days and uh, and nights with no food or water while they tied cloth into their mouths to muffle their coughs once it was clear they escaped into the woods and were on the run for two weeks before getting to safety and telling their story Eventually, this got to FDR and he was furious and ready to finally take decisive action against Hitler and launch the Western Front of the European theater. He was ready to bring justice to the Third Reich, <laughs> but Dulles and his coterie of freaks, they had other plans.
2: Yeah, of course they did. Let's listen to them.:
3: Yeah, a little little planning little freaks just sitting there
2: planning and twiddling their fingers together.
0: Mm.
2: What can we do to make Nazis persevere? <laughs> we wish yeah. to see the Nazis survive. Yes.
0: let's make the Nazis win. <laughs> <laughs> what I thought, get out trouble, my- I would bet it No I and not gonna let out such a tie got a trauma!
2: So
3: let's uh let's go to the city of Nuremberg, shall we?
2: Yeah,
0: let's.
3: So in November 1945,
2: the war was over. Yeah! Yeah, man, we fucking did it, dude. Fuck yeah, dude.
3: Uh, So the Allies dragged the remains of the Third Reich to the ruined city of Nuremberg, once the unofficial capital of the fascist spectacle, home to the Nuremberg Festival that adorned Leni Riefenstahl's film, Triumph of the Will, an ode to the macabre Reich. It was the center of the Bacchanalian fury, of the Nazi party, but now it was bombed to pieces and left in ruins, filled with the stinking dead and disinfectant, desperately trying to cover up the stench of the aftermath. While Hitler, Himmler, and Goebbels had all taken their lives to avoid capture, it was here that such Nazi luminaries were put to trial as Reichsmarshal Hermann Göring, Rudolf Hess, the half-mad deputy of Hitler that tried to flee to Scotland, Ernst Kaltenbrunner, Himmler's executioner and the highest ranking SS leader to be tried Hjalmar Schacht love that fucking name <laughs> the, the international banker who financed Hitler's rise Albert Speer master of weapons Julius Streicher unhinged anti-Semite politician and a publisher mm. now a few of the defendants were indignant to start the trials especially Hermann Göring at first he was laughing and joking causing a ruckus in the courtroom until a film was played death mills it was footage of the nazi death camps and i will largely stray from discussing what was in it as i for you listeners and cameron i've watched the entire thing i believe you fucking sucked yeah and also just as a weird and i'm not gonna it uh i don't watch it never nobody watch it although i will say it was weird it had a very strange like atmosphere to it because it was like standard military propaganda like voice yeah and music playing while you're just looking at the worst things that you've ever seen
2: yeah
3: um so it was like very there's very cognitive dissonance um but you know it was footage of the death camps and it included the mangled remains of people who had vivisection performed on them mass graves shriveled corpses and the various remains extracted from the jewish prisoners goring refused even crocodile tears exclaiming it was such a good afternoon too until they showed that film they were reading my telephone conversations on the Austrian annexation, and everybody was laughing with me. And then they showed that awful film, and it just spoiled everything. Oh man. What a fuck Why'd it's... you guys have to go
2: and do that? Because, honestly, was... I had that jury in the palm of my hand. Until yeah, you guys dude, that was an easy crowd.
3: That yeah, that was an easy crowd until you showed the emaciated people crawling and begging for help. Yeah. Yeah, fuck um, However, the trials and a twist of irony that the Soviet Union may have come to regret only happened at Joseph Stalin's assistance. He believed the men should be tried before they were punished so that the world could understand their guilt and see their crimes. Churchill and FDR wanted all of the Nazi leadership summarily executed on the spot, uh, you know, at the time of their surrender. Uh, They figured it would be between 50 and 100 men. Um, But Stalin convinced them and FDR, he was always... FDR had, like, kind of, like, a bit of a relationship with Stalin. They definitely yeah. respected each other, and, and yeah. neither of them really tried to work over the other one. Churchill was always kind of, like, a little mad plotter. Yeah. Uh, always trying to do stuff on the side, but FDR definitely, him and Stalin kind of saw eye to eye. Yeah, they saw one
2: another at least as equals.
3: Yeah, they respected each other and yeah. even were, like, kind of friendly. Not yeah. friends, but they were, like, kind of friendly. Um, and Stalin was right in his memoirs that he really respected and liked FDR. But... Um, FDR was convinced, and then he became as much of a proponent for the trials as Stalin was. But it was because they were tried that some were able to escape and would be used against the Soviet Union by the capitalist bloc during the Cold War. Yeah. Unfortunately, Harry Truman did not agree with FDR about Stalin or about the Soviet Union as being their allies. He was ever the Cold War. Re-
2: but like, also, unfortunately, and this is not something that you know generally would be like a thing that I would be. For, but it kind of sounds like maybe given what we know of the past, right, with hindsight being mm-hmm. twenty twenty, maybe maybe uh, Churchill's vibe was correct when he was just like, why don't we just fucking shoot them all in the head yeah, honestly yeah, like <laughs> oof, yeah, it's rough it's to say but like maybe they should have just, a lot
3: of lives probably could have been saved yeah. if they
2: were all just shot in wouldn't the head. have had all this like uh, Argentinian shit life. yeah, fucking,
3: yeah i mean yeah we'll talk about it, but like a lot of these guys they like some of these guys escaped to chile and were in augusto pinochet's service yeah like they like these a lot of these guys went right back to west germany after it like we'll, we'll get into that but yeah it was kind of like that's why i'm saying that like in the twist of irony stalin wanting to do the right thing is probably one of the things that doomed the soviet union right like then dulles and true dulles got all these guys out and was just like now we're going at the communists yeah because you guys were all really good at killing the fucking shit out of communists and we're gonna have you do that again right <laughs> against our former ally oh yeah man yeah but um yeah so in fact leading up to the end of the war the united states state department was by and large against investigations into the war crimes of the third Reich. Uh, You know, aside from just the anti-Semitism running rampant amongst the right-wing members of the State Department, because let's be clear, Jews weren't very popular in the U.S.
2: No. They weren't anywhere. The idea that, like, America was some, like, cowboy hero that, like, strode into the war and was like, all right, time to right these wrongs, that's something that we love to show in Hollywood. But, like... There were lots of Nazis in America yeah. then, like, during World War II. Like, Walt yeah. Disney was a Nazi. Like, yeah. Henry Ford was a fucking Nazi. No, he like, he wrote a book
3: called The International Jew. Yeah, like. there's,
2: there's, there were a lot yeah. of people that felt like, like, right through the war, that felt like what mm-hmm. the Nazis were doing was A-OK. No yeah, big even deal. Even the majority of the American people weren't for the war. It was really just, like, FDR
3: and some members of his inner circle, like Henry Wallace and shit, that, Right. that... Uh, Believes
2: that the Nazis had to be stopped. Right. It was. Uh, it was. Americans did not want to get involved. Yeah. It's. It's much more popular in hindsight than it was at the time.
3: Yeah. So, and that's the thing. So it wasn't just anti-Semitism either. It was also the dirty business of how entwined with German corporations the American corporations were that were res- represented in the State Department. You know, these people were all working together. Fucking. We talked about in episode twenty-four a lot of American companies were using slave labor for the right. prison camps it's like, why the fuck are we going to liberate them I'm getting cheap as fuck labor from this place are you guys crazy <laughs> like um, however in the end FDR uh, did come around to the trials and it was inevitable that they would happen even after his death but the members of the department that were cozy with the Nazis to put it lightly uh, would do everything they could to protect valued members of the Nazi hierarchy so William Donovan, Wild Bill, head of the OSS, and Alan Dulles deftly maneuvered themselves under the new Truman administration to take control of the quote economic case at the Nuremberg trials. Hmm. So your uh, your little your spook sensors should be going off right there, you know? Ooh, wee, wee. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's get some sirens going. Uh, meaning they would handle the industrialists and bankers that financed and supplied the regime. In other words, their clients from their legal work. Uh, uh, I will be investigating the people that I represent as a lawyer. <laughs> like, okay, dude, like, fuck. Um, so Donovan and Dulles worked out deals with Goring and Schacht, men that had built the financial and industrial machine behind the Third Reich, and Schacht in particular, who knew where all of the regime's assets were hidden. For his work, while Bill Donovan was fired from the OSS, they were like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? Herman uh, Goring? Like that's like the the top
2: guy still alive.
3: <laughs> like like all of the other ones killed themselves. Goring was like, he was the he was the prize pig. You know this what I mean? This doesn't
2: look good.
3: Yeah, like buddy, this guy is like the highest living member of Nazi Germany. We can't let him go. Like the dude just said that we ruined his day by showing him all the awful things they did because he was getting people to laugh. Uh, Now, Dulles was a little bit craftier, and he operated in the shadows, unlike Donovan, who came out and tried to bluntly wield power. Dulles would continue on, and he would build the rat lines that helped swarms of Nazi freaks escape to Francoist Spain, the Middle East, South America, and the United States. Uh, So Alan Dulles was even in speeches and meetings with other leaders outlining the new Cold War tensions that would arise. To him, the Nazis were, quote, Painted politically, but they would be necessary in the coming battle that he was planning the West to fight against the Soviets, and they would be needed in the newly rebuilt West Germany. So at the closing of the initial Nuremberg trials, there was many series of them, but this was the first one. Schacht was fucking acquitted. Hjalmar Schacht was acquitted. Along with two other Nazis, while seven received sentences from ten years to life. Eleven were sentenced to be hanged until death, including Goring, who Donovan failed to save. Of course, Goring was able to get a cyanide pill smuggled in by an American guard, and he ate it and died. Now, many imprisoned Nazis over the subsequent trials would find their way out of prison, and by 1953, only few of the approximately 5,000 were still behind bars, and quite a number of the fortunate butchers were released with Dulles as their silent benefactor. For the ones that did hang after the first trial, apparently Goring had the right idea because it was a grisly scene as, despite the executioner John C. Woods being experienced, it was botched, intentionally or otherwise, and the drop did not kill the Nazis. You know, they dropped the board. Apparently, all the Nazis, when they fell through, it wasn't done right. They all broke their noses on the way down on the wood. None of them died from the drop. You know, kind of... And all the comments of Woods after the fact kind of seemed like... He wasn't a fan of Nazis, and he wasn't letting them go easy. It seemed like he did it on purpose, which, pimp. Um, So they were all forced to thrash about until death. One lasted for over 20 minutes, just hanging there, writhing. Uh, One of them was, like, so loud and vociferous in his thrashing that Wood had to, like, come by and grab him by his shoulders and pull him down real quick to snap his neck. Um, Wood was, uh, he was apparently proud of this day until his own death, and would talk about it with pride, gleaming.
2: I mean, it's hard to, ugh. Yeah. It's gross, but also, like, they were Nazis. <laughs>
3: yeah, these dudes killed millions
2: of people. Yeah.
3: Um, now, nowhere was the contrast between how the Soviets saw the Third Reich and how the Americans saw it more stark than the film industries of the two sides of the German country. So, I'm sure most people know if you don't, uh, Germany was split into two where east germany was administered by the soviet union and became a, uh, a communist state and west germany uh became a capitalist state so in the american side hollywood adventures cowboy movies and jubilant german productions flooded the theaters it was all great it's over all the bad guys are gone life is great you know we never really want to do this anyway but in east germany the films were dour and they were you know produced by the state and they really made the country reckon with the evil it raw and show it a path towards its never happening again. Of course, Soviet blood filled the Holocaust and the Eastern Front. You know, eleven million people died in the Holocaust, six million of them are Jews, five million weren't, a lot of those were homosexuals, there were Roma peoples, uh, they were the disabled, and they were communists. And the on the Eastern Front, well over 20 million Soviet citizens and communists were killed. Uh, you know, on the field of battle, they defended their homeland. And so for the Soviets, you know, the horrors of the Third Reich loomed far greater in their mind than the Americans, who wanted the world to forget what had happened. You know, mm-hmm. Nikita Khrushchev, you know, who had succeeded uh, Stalin. He would go on to say, you know, the Americans, they, they didn't have to fight a war on their home turf, at least, you know, not since, you know, the middle of the 19th century. Right. And so they were really insulated from the horrors of these two world wars, whereas especially in world war ii you know the soviet union was invaded and blood was shed to defend their land from being taken over you know mm. dozens of millions of people died in it and you know he said you know americans they don't really understand that you know they sent you know a few hundred thousand or you know they sent you know millions to war but only a few hundred thousand died and they got rich and fat off of it whereas you know the soviet union bled and suffered greatly and so they both really looked at, you know, for, for the Soviet Union, the Third Reich was like a nightmare. It was a horror. It mm. wasn't just, they, there was no debate on defending their homeland. Like there was a debate in the U.S. to send their men overseas.
2: They were allied with the Third Reich originally,
3: right? Well, it was a non-aggression pact. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't an alliance. It was just a non-aggression pact because they, you know, the whole thing with the Soviet Union was that they needed to, get some industrialized countries to turn communist otherwise it would always fail because they were trying to industrialize in communism as opposed to taking industrialized so they kind of had a non-aggression pact where they both agreed to you know basically split poland and they wouldn't bother each other about it right you know but yeah it was a non-aggression pact gotcha not not like a military alliance um you know and the nazis always hated i mean the nazis were killing communists back in the 30s, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Um but yeah, so so for the Soviets, the horror loomed far greater in their mind than the Americans who just wanted to forget what had happened. Let's, uh let's do- let's uh talk about operation sunrise again i don't want to get back too deep into the weeds about uh the sunrise story which is alan dulles helping carl wolf Obergroup and fiora of the ss escape from europe but it is one of the most shocking tales of Dulles' time in the oss now wolf at the time had been hosting benito mussolini as a ward and mussolini was captured just before wolf had been encircled by italian partisans Mussolini and his mistress Clara Pitacci were machine gunned and had their bodies put on display in, Milan, in Milan's and Milan's Piazzale Loreto. In particular, Il Duce, that's Benito Mussolini. Uh, he was brutalized by the people, with one woman firing five shots into his head for each of her five dead sons. Hmm. His body was then strung up and further desecrated, and Hitler was so disturbed he had called Mussolini his only friend I have in the world that he requested his, i.e. Hitler's, body be burned when he died, just so it couldn't be, this shit couldn't happen. Now, Wolf knew if he was captured here in Italy, he would also have an untimely end, probably pretty similar to Il Duce's. Uh, So he turned to his friend and the Allies, Alan Dulles. As we will discuss in ample detail in future episodes, Alan Dulles and his CIA would come to view Italy as a linchpin in stopping the spread of communism. They believed that Italy, like they did Vietnam and Southeast Asia, would be a key battleground that if it fell to communism, would likely mean a chain reaction of the spread of communism throughout their locales. Italy's fall would portend the rest of mainland Western Europe and Vietnam Southeast Asia. The most important thing for Dulles was stopping the Red Army uh, from entering Italy, which is why he tried to make a deal with Karl Wolf to surrender to the capitalist allies in order to halt the Red Army's advance into Italy. Of course, Dulles was playing a dangerous game. Just days earlier, FDR had expressly forbid Dulles from continuing his contact with Wolf. Therefore, Gero von schulze a scion of a prominent European family and subordinate of Dulles, came up with a plan with the surreptitious approval of Dulles to lead a rescue party to Italy to extract Wolf, whom they both deemed a moderate member, politically, of Hitler's inner circle, and therefore worth saving in order to incorporate into the post-war order. And Thus, a convoy of American spies, Swiss intelligence officers, and SS officials traveled to Italy to save Wolf, a joint Allied Axis mission, and it was a success. In the end, Operation Sunrise worked. While Stalin trusted and liked FDR, once the American president was dead, Dulles worked quickly to enact a secret diplomatic surrender. In the end, it was generally for naught, as the Nazis surrendered to all of the Allies almost immediately afterwards, but still, Dulles tried to get them in place to fight the Red Army. Even Truman, ever the cold warrior, was disgusted by Dulles' betrayal. Dulles himself, however, was proud of his treachery and begged about it the rest of his life. Um, Now, Wolf, for his part, was Dulles' kind of Nazi. Ideologically, at least outwardly, more on the moderate side, did not overtly anti-Semitic. You know, he wouldn't just fucking constantly talk about it like some other guys. Hmm. Um, He was a handsome and charming man, an industrialist, and had good manners and staunch anti-communist views. Fucking Dulles is rock hard at this at this thought, just fucking bulging. And for this, it was exactly who he wanted to work with. And Wolf found himself a lifelong ally in the spy. Wolf had connections to the industrialists of northern Italy, and for Dulles and his corporate clients, keeping Northern Italy intact for business was paramount. Both men were businessmen, unconcerned with ideology, besides anti-communism, and they were both willing to get it done however was necessary. And both were ruthlessly ambitious most concerned about gaining power for themselves. Wolf himself and Dulles as his ally both tried to feign Wolf's ignorance about the Reich's worst crimes. Wolf claimed he knew nothing about the death camps until the last days of the war, and Dulles attempted his entire life to rehabilitate Wolf's image. But, as we discussed in episode 24, Wolf was a notorious Nazi butcher and he had personally overseen mass murders, including ordering personally a quarter million Jews to be massacred. Time magazine once branded him the bureaucrat of death. Wolf even directly oversaw inhumane experiments on live prisoners at the Dachau camp from 42 to 43. Experiments that included low oxygen and freezing temperature tests on death camp prisoners to determine how much Luftwaffe pilots could endure before rescue. Countless prisoners died as a result of these. So, Wolf was so incredulous when he was finally arrested in Italy that he continually evoked Alan Dulles' name to the Allies that captured him while enjoying a lunch in a villa with another SS official. While Dulles desperately attempted to distance himself, he surreptitiously cloaked Wolf and blocked him from prosecution, including hiding reports that Wolf had personally tortured and killed American OSS agents. Dulles was able to successfully lie about Wolf's role in the war and get him away from the Nuremberg trials while promising him a position in the post-war government. To get him away from the trials, Dulles even had Wolf diagnosed with a mental disorder to get him transferred to a psychiatric hospital. Of course, part of the diagnosis was Dulles' way of trying to keep Wolf quiet about the illegal deal, of which now Wolf, wily and quick-witted, realized just how much Dulles' ass was in the jackpot over it. It's a fucking Den of Thieves here. Or a Den of Vipers, rather. Den of Thieves is a swag movie. but um, <clears throat> So, after getting the cold shoulder from Dulles as the spook tried to double-cross him, Wolf began writing incessantly to President Truman, Dulles himself, and other members of Operation Sunrise on the American side. The guilty Americans even attempted to engineer an escape from prison for Wolf, but he refused to go on the run to Argentina or Chile like many other of the Nazi rats in their escape. He wanted what he was promised, namely redemption. They literally, like, opened the door for him. He was like, all right, dude, go. Like, you can get out of here. And he was like, I will stay. Hmm. I will stay right here until I get to what I promised. Right. And so a denazification trial was engineered by Dulles, who apparently was now somewhat smitten, by the way, that Wolf had played him back while Dulles attempted to double-cross him. He was, like, kind of like, damn, this guy is good. Like, they were, like, crushing on each other. hmm <laughs> And so, Wolf was found guilty of being an SS officer with knowledge of the war crimes and given time served. He went free in June of 1949.
2: Damn. Yeah. Time served, huh? Yeah. Uh, so,
3: once he was a free man in West Germany, Wolf again became a wealthy man working in business, and after a time he re-entered politics after reconnecting with many of the other Nazi dogs that escaped prosecution into West Germany. Wolf eventually established a new political party, the Reichsverrat, a neo-fascist party. Uh, Wolf began organizing with other SS officers, and soon the old Nazi ideals of demonizing socialist, communists, and non-Germans was flowing freely from the mouth of old Karl Wolf. Mm. Right back to his old ways, Yeah, bud. man.
2: Here we are. Back back where we started.
3: Yep. Now let's talk about the rat lines. So, Karl Wolf was far from the only high-ranking SS officer that found his way out of prosecution. And there were many powers in the post-war world that had needs of the tools possessed by a former prominent Nazi apparatchik. Eugen Dolman, SS colonel, found it suspiciously easy to escape from Allied prison in Rimini, Italy, and he would become a useful tool of the Catholic Church in their upcoming decades-long battle with the Italian communists. The alliance between the CIA, the Church, and the Mafia will become a staple of future episodes as we explore Operation Gladio and the Years of Lead. But for now, the Nazi rats were just escaping prison and prosecution, and they would soon find themselves in the middle of this and and more post-war events. And one of the architects of the post-war Italian anti-communist presence was James Jesus Angleton, Hmm. a young, rising star in the spook world who had run X2, the OSS counterintelligence branch, during the war. Now, James Angleton would sneak Dolman out of a church hideout where he was snorting heroin with drug addicts and bring him to Rome, where he lived in a lavish villa to work for the Americans. Engleton was an ideologically committed capitalist and anti-communist. He was rabidly anti-Soviet, and in this he found a mentor and friend in Alan Dulles. However, Dolman was never concerned with politics or ideology, and he found both men naive and sickening. Still, they saved him from prison or languishing as an addict hidden by the church, and so he joined them. Dolman, however, was a Nazi for the love of the sadism and conniving plots. Eugen Dolman himself was an italophile, absolutely in love with the country, the language, and also himself. Hmm. He was notoriously vain and charming, and he was the go-between for Hitler and Mussolini, having a mastery of the Italian language. He was also gay, and once in Italy, after the war, he shed as much of his German upbringing as he could, opting to live the Dolce Vita, and go by Eugenio. Even during the war, he was an openly arts-loving homosexual who loved engaging in court gossip, and this was typically a character the Nazis would send to the gas chambers. But, Owing to his seamless ability to blend into both German and Italian life, he became a valued member of the Third Reich. He was even free to openly attend gay and lesbian orgies in Venice, and was a personal shopping partner of Eva Braun, Hitler's companion. Braun would confess to Dolman that Hitler eschewed any physical intimacy, intimacy with her, and, in fact, Dolman had it on good authority that Hitler was not only interested in his true love, Germany, but also boyish young men.
2: Oh.
3: Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> he uh, he claimed to have been at a party with Hitler in like the twenties when that was made
2: quite apparent. <clears throat> didn't Hitler also like have like his wasn't his like one true love for a woman for like his niece, and he yeah like stifled her to the point where she killed herself.
3: Yeah, I think so. Like, I think something get like into that. Any... Like once yeah. he came
2: to power, like. He basically, like, just took over her life and, like, wouldn't let her see anyone else. And she was like, well, I'm yeah. not interested in you. They were, like, first cousins, or it mm-hmm. was his niece or something. And yeah, um, yeah, she was like, yeah, this is really weird. And he was like, well, it's me or nothing. <laughs> and yeah. she, she was like, okay. And she killed herself. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Eva Braun would say, too, that, like, she would, like, try to be intimate with Hitler and that, like, they would have, like, long, like, night-long talks. I'm sure they were doing meth, too. But he would always be like, no, my only love is Germany. And she was like... Your it's only love, Cause, that's not your only fucking love, dog. Because uh, Dolman man. over
2: there, he's told me about some of your other proclivities. I know you like other stuff, dude. Yeah, <laughs> but, nobody um, only loves Germany, man. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, but um, so Dolman used this intimate knowledge of the Nazi high command and his dealings and maneuverings in Rome. He recounted a particularly perverted story of Reinhard Heydrich, chief executioner and Luciferian demon in Hitler, Himmler's command. In the story, Heydrich had Dolman take him to a brothel, and he engaged in a debaucherous night with every woman there of all body shapes and sizes, gazing at them with his shark eyes that the butcher was so famous for. Suddenly, he snaps out of his gaze uh, and flings coins around the room and has all the women crawling around gathering the gold up, and then he joins in the celebration, everyone just scrambling madly on all fours as Dolman is just like, Shit. <laughs> Doman would say uh, that he was the only man he ever instinctively feared. Fucking sick. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Doman eventually came to room with Colonel Walter Ralph, one of Wolf's second in command's and a Sunrise collaborator. Doman despised the o- uh, the uh, the SS officer. <laughs> Freudian slip, uh, and was worried they would become the subject of Nazi hunters and communists, And in particular, Dolman considered him one of his most disagreeable acquaintances. Ralph had devised a way to suffocate Holocaust victims before the gas chambers were invented by locking them in cars and asphyxiating them with the fumes. Uh, yeah, a quarter of a million of the Eastern Front victims were killed this way. They're just gassing them in cars eventually dolman was tracked down by american nazi hunters and arrested after being sold out by his former chauffeur the hunter was an italian american and dolman found him repulsive both as a mongrelized illiterate american and as being pudgy which was a cardinal sin for dolman hmm. um we would have fucked <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah dude we would not have done well near him no. um Yeah, he was apparently, like, constantly, like, pissed off at anybody who was, like, slightly overweight, and even to the day he died, he was, like, flat-stomached. Not these guys. (laughs) No, sir. Uh, But he had an ace up his sleeve in James Angleton, and he handed the Nazi hunter Penyota his card. Now, Major Lee Penyota was well-acquainted with Angleton, as his team operated from the same building as the Spooks, but they were pretty fucking far from being on the same side. Peñota was a committed Nazi hunter, as were his fellow teammates. But Angleton was playing a different game, and he made Peñota's life hell. And Angleton had collaborators in British intelligence who operated out of the same building as well. Peñota even hunted down the same Nazi four fucking times and turned him over to British intelligence. And all four times, he mysteriously escaped, finally making it to Argentina. <clears throat> Penyota chose to hang on to Dolman, who sold out Ralph. However Ralph eventually escaped through a rat line to Egypt and then Chile where he would find himself in Augusto Pinochet's Gestapo service, the Dino. Now Augusto Pinochet's fascist regime will be another thread we pull on in later episodes. and here we already see the roots. Uh, in the same apartment as Dolman and Ralph was discovered, Eugen Vayner, another sunrise butcher, and it was with this name that Peñota and his Nazi-hunting 18-year-old partner, William Gowan realized they had uncovered a fucking safe house used by Angleton and Dulles to stash Nazi war criminals that they were freeing from prosecution. Like, they were like, damn, dude, we just got an apartment filled with fucking Nazi butchers. And they're like, these fucking dudes are stashing them. But Bill Gowan and Jim Angleton would end up crossing paths often. And Gowen was the son of a diplomat that served with Joseph Kennedy, JFK and RFK's father. Now, I've barely mentioned Joseph Kennedy in the story yet, if I even have, but he was always lurking around with many of these names involved in the nascent deep politics of America, always somewhat on the outside as a booze runner during Prohibition, and, you know, he was an Irish Catholic, which they didn't really like that. Now, I will save his story for later as we get more into the Kennedys, but for now, just know that he was deeply involved with many of the Americans mentioned in episode 24 and this one. Gowan, being the son of a political player, possessed a pedigree that appealed to and threatened Angleton. And he possessed fluency in Italian that Angleton tried to mimic, but failed at, being embarrassed by the teenager at lunch. Angleton's father, while wealthy, was self-made, not old-money wasp like Gowan, and his mother was Mexican. No matter what, his face always belied his Hispanic heritage, and this would always keep him at arm's length from the wasp core of America. He's also apparently, like, really gaunt and just, like, constantly chain-smoking. Um... Now, Angleton, however, would get the better of Gowan by getting Dolman out of Italy and shacked up with none other than Otto Skorzeny, the infamous scar-faced butcher of the Waffen-SS who who once used a glider raid to free Mussolini from mountaintop captivity. Just like, like, fucking gliders. (laughs) And he would become a staple of post-war communist regimes, even training the Mossad in Israel. The fucking Mossad hired Otto Squitzani. Damn. Um, So eventually, Angleton and Dulles became so concerned about Gowan's budding career in opposition to theirs that they set him up and framed him as a fascist collaborator in the Balkans. His career was destroyed when the fake story was sent to a reporter and became a scandal, and the spook Frank Wisner was at the center of executing it. And Frank Wisner is yet another name that will continuously pop up through the CIA's clandestine operations in the decades to come. Eventually, as Dolman's spy career began to become unpredictable, he was able to slip out of Switzerland briefly to Italy, and then to Francois, Spain, where he was welcomed and joined up by, uh, joined up with Otto Skorzeny and Hjalmar Schacht, old friend. Uh, the latter, Hjalmar, had avoided death and been acquitted at Nuremberg. Skorzeny was an arms dealer and helped SS fugitives flee justice, and Schacht was back to being a financial consultant. Together, Shocked, and Scorsini used the hidden Nazi assets to establish the rat lines for former Nazis and Angleton kept in touch with Scorsini for work. Dolman would then tried to get back to Germany but was arrested and upon release he went back to Italy desperate for money and continually quote "finding genuine Hitler documents that he tried to sell for cash, uh, even supposedly saying he had a document of a secret agreement between Stalin and Hitler to, to have Hitler surrender to Stalin that Dulles offered one million dollars for. He's like, I want that fucking shit. Uh, But Dolman could never produce it. He was always like, oh, yeah, I must have left it at the other place. Um, He then began spying on neo-Nazis for the CIA, as well as narcotics officers in Rome, and also reporting to the neo-Nazis about intelligence, working as a double agent. He was also spying on Francoist Spain for British intelligence and a complicated web of loyalties. An agency memo went around warning against the operational use of Dolman because he had already been involved with several intelligence organizations in Western Europe since 1945. His reputation for blackmail, subterfuge, and double dealings is infamous, and, just by the by, he is a homosexual. Mm. So they were warned, hey, don't use this guy.
2: They're He's wary homosexual.
3: That. Yeah. Now, in 1955, Dolman finally stopped working for the agency, having outlived his usefulness. Of course, he would continue living for three decades, because there's no justice in this world, huh. appearing on European television frequently. He was like a big special guest all the time. Uh, he wrote some memoirs, and the fucker even wrote the German subtitles for Federico Fellini's La Dolce Vita film. Wow. Yeah. What the fuck, dude? That's so weird. <laughs> like he wrote subtitles for a Fellini film. Um, yeah. Dulles would describe the Nazi spy as a slippery customer in his memoir, and Dolman famously took it as a compliment in an interview with an American journalist the story was pretty funny though he he was talking to this journalist and he was like really pissed because he was like you know I'd always liked Dulles and he's like I don't really know English that well but he called me a slippery customer <laughs> he's like and from my limited experience of English that's not a good thing right and the guy was basically just like oh I mean you know that just means that you're like you're very like you operate in the shadows like you're very like oh it's just like a like a backstabbing like two-timer and then and then he was like oh that's
2: actually a compliment for me <laughs> oh like, yeah i do all that yeah for sure yeah.
0: oh
3: okay oh yeah i thought he meant something weird and a bad backstabbing piece of shit oh for sure yeah yeah that, well, that's, that's me actually, to a that's actually it's actually it's actually very swaggy that you would say that hell yeah shouts out dulles um <laughs> episode about all of these nazi rats scattering at the end of the war um i got the vast majority of my research from the first third of the book the devil's chessboard by david talbot um so yeah if you want to if you want to read about it on your own i highly recommend it it's a great book it's fucking massive but it's a great book i'll be going through more of it in the future but um i hope i've laid the groundwork for you to understand the story i'm painting as we dive even deeper over the coming weeks into the deep state apparatus But between this and episode 24, this is where the foundation was laid. The industrialists, the gangsters, the mafia, Wall Street, big oil, Nazis, fascists, the church, all these people came together to create something new and evil living behind the American state. And from here on out, every president, senator, and representative would serve at the pleasure of the American deep state there's so much to go over as we follow the rat lines out across the globe and uncover the global conspiracy that some academics refer to as the spider network now these people here built the world we would come to inhabit and it exists still to this day in their image
2: beautiful love it that was great thank you i'm sweating so much I, dude, I, I just saw you lift your arms up. And I was like, "Damn!" I, uh, yeah, I just threw up the sides of my cube. I am so saturated. I like couldn't bring <laughs> myself to comment after like, after like at least after like the fifty-minute mark of this episode. Yeah. I was just like, I am gonna sit here and I'm gonna listen. And if I say anything, I'm gonna sound like I'm pissed because <laughs> I am because I'm we could so have taken hot. a break. No, I know, but I didn't want to. It was a long okay. episode, and I wanted to get through it. I yeah. was, yeah, I oh still my god, make the image. I'm boiling. Yeah, and then I yeah, gotta I sit it. right. I gotta edit this whole thing tomorrow before I go into stupid fucking work. Yeah, uh, damn dude, I'm <gasps> pissed you weren't coming down here. and We could get some Geno's. I, I know, We gotta do that soon. We gotta yeah. do that soon. No, we. So I we haven't had, had it at where, all this summer. We were yeah. gonna go get uh some the fried seafood. Fried the best fried seafood. seafood. Um, fucking... Do we always split a fisherman's platter, or do we get our own? No, no, usually
3: we get... So, like, because they, they do the side... You can just get a side order of fish only. So, usually, like... I think, like, usually, like, one of us gets, like, scallops. The other gets, like, clams or shrimp or something. And then we get and a side of eat. fish? Yeah, and no, we each get, like, fish, too. All right.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, dude, Yeah. there's scallops, I'm, sorry. I, I, I'm, like,
3: dreaming of their scallops.
2: I had a coworker that needed some help, and, uh... These yeah. days you got to do, it. do what you got to do, but yeah, I'm yeah. I'm dying for scallops with a bunch of lemon and some tartar sauce. Yeah,
3: dude. Yes. Oof. Oh,
2: the I just jeans, I love man. that they don't even bother to like put the put any of the food
3: on anything other than the like the oil plates. Those yeah. Like gray plates. Yeah. There's like no, we're just gonna leave it right there. Yeah. It's like the thing that you put. out do for people who don't work in a kitchen, it's the thing that like when you pull shit out of a fryer, litter, you usually put them on these like gray plates that'll like soak up the grease. Yeah.
2: And they were just like, yeah, we're just gonna give you those grease <laughs> plates. <laughs> yeah, they're like, it's yeah. it's basically just like cardboard, like a pizza box yeah. material, kind of.
3: Basically, yeah, yeah.
2: And uh, oh man, jeans is jeans is the absolute best. It's the best. So hopefully yeah. next week we can we can just like yeah. make a repeat plan and go to jeans. Um, okay. Because man, I was really excited about it too. But I want to yeah. help out my my comrades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta do it. You gotta do it. Oh right, man, then. that was a beautiful episode. I really liked it.
0: I know that yeah. I didn't
2: I didn't contribute that much, but that's like I said I was just melting to death over here quietly yeah. in the corner. Harry Balzac
3: continued uh, contributed.
2: So. Yeah, and uh, make sure that you guys check out the penis parlor.
3: Yep. You might think that he's saying penis, but he's actually saying pianist. Yeah, penis. Yeah. It's the penis parlor.
2: It's nothing weird. It's the penis parlor.
3: Yeah, it's nothing perverted. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. say penis. Right. It's pianist. Anyway, uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, And if you have, please head on over to iTunes, give us a uh, rating and a Mm -hmm. review, because that
2: really helps with the algorithm. But if you insist on listening to us elsewhere, we are pretty much everywhere else. Yeah, we're everywhere. while we prefer and request a five-star review on iTunes, uh, we Mm -hmm. will settle for a follow or a like or a whatever you can give us on whatever platform you are listening. Um, Yeah, we're also... uh, Oh, sorry, continue. No, I was just going to say any way that you can uh, yeah. show your support means a lot to us, and we appreciate it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, we're also, we are on Twitter and Instagram at leftonredpod. You can find us there. You can email us for mm. any reason. Uh, please that's do. That's leftonredpod at gmail.com. Yeah, please follow us. Uh, that really helps uh, get us to, to new, new ears, new listeners. Yeah, uh, we'd tell like your friends to hear
2: we would like to. Yeah, we would also. Yeah, we would love to.
3: You if you can want, even if, email
2: us to just be mean. We would love yeah, to get if you some You want to give mail.
3: us honestly dude, I'd like I kind of kind of look forward to the first like hate review
2: or hate mail because yeah. then it's like, yeah. I don't know, I feel like that's making it. Where like we get <laughs> accused of like revisionist history or something yeah. like that. Like as if we're not just like two fucking dumbasses talking about whatever the fuck we want. that like,
3: we usually like do the re- like it's usually stuff that we have some knowledge of, but then we do like yeah. all the heavy research for like a week or two before the episode. Yeah. Like I did the vast majority of this reading and writing, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and yesterday, I probably spent a total of ten hours between those three days on this, and then I did like another like, maybe like three last week. This was the I. This is definitely the most work I've put in an episode yet.
2: For sure, for sure. Yeah. This was this was a pretty heavy heavy duty episode. You did good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm proud <laughs> of you. Thanks, bud. Um. Yeah. Anyway, so uh,
3: so again, we're left on red. I'm Evan, that's Cam. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you next week, folks.
2: Yeah, and we, we honestly, we love you guys. Like, we love you.
3: Dude, we fucking love you guys. We fucking
2: love you guys. Thanks so much fucking for listening. All right, we'll see you next week on love Left you. on Red. I love you.
3: I do, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, not you. The fucking listeners. Oh, you love them, too. Okay, great. All right. <laughs>